0: Good morning. My name is Michelle Kimball, and my husband Bobby and I, and our dear friend Terry, we've been attending Mansfield Bible Church for a whole month now, so we're very happy to be here. And we've been we've been so welcome. So thank you. Um, today's passage is from 1 John five one through five in your English Standard Version. It's entitled "Overcoming the World." And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you.
1: All right. Good morning, everyone. What a a joy. Get your Bibles out and or your phones, I guess, some of you, but uh, go to First John chapter 5. Um, we're going to look at verses 1 through 5 this morning. Um, I'm going <clears> to, <throat> I get, this is a powerful passage um, in the scripture, so sometimes I get excited over some of the things that are here because of the truths that it mentions. But at the same time, it's a passage that sometimes we don't, we don't like because uh, it talks about things like faith and obedience and, and love, all those kinds of things that we don't like when people are telling us what we should do or shouldn't do, right? And so part of it is for us to grow up in the faith, to grow up in Jesus Christ, there's things that we need to know. I started a couple of weeks ago on Palm Sunday. This series calls this, surely this is the, the Son of God, and we looked at Jesus in the garden, and we took a look at jesus 's agony and anguish of what he was about to go through in his humanity as he was to be the spirit the sin bearer for the world for our sins, and so as he looked at that, we looked at him in the garden and last week on Palm Sunday, we saw the, the the ladies, the women that went to the tomb, these devoted women who loved Jesus, and we looked at what happened there as they went into the tomb and they, in all of their terror and their fear, but yet there was a moment where they were just shocked by hope that Jesus is alive. And because he's alive, we stand here today in the righteousness of Christ. I will, I will say this when I'm talking about obedience. I know sometimes we take those kinds of things and we, we say, oh, obedience is what gets us there. No, obedience is always a result of a love and a work of God in my life. Always understand that that as God is working in my life, I stand here today before you, not in anything that I have accomplished. I stand purely and solely in the righteousness of Christ through what he has done. I have brought nothing. I simply believed and trusted Christ in my life. And so today I stand before you, not because of something I've attained, but something I have received by a, a merciful God, by an almighty God, who full of love and grace and mercy bestowed upon me his mercy and his grace. And so today I stand there in his righteousness. So when we looked at those two these last couple of weeks, today we're kind of walking in the passage and we're still dealing with the aspect that he is the son of God. You have to understand that to come to a believing faith, to come to a place of knowing God and knowing righteousness. And so today we're seeing, we're seeing him, the son of God, but we're looking at him as how does he begin to impact our life? You see, before I knew Christ, I only knew sin. No matter how well I tried to be good, no matter how much I tried to attain certain things, I was never able to. I was never able to attain that. It was only by the grace of God. And when I received Christ into my life, by his goodness and his mercy, he declared me righteous in his son, Jesus Christ. And so now, as a result of that work, as a result of being born again, how do I conduct my life? When I was a kid, my dad was quite a mechanic. He loved to work on cars, and I loved my dad, and I loved working on cars with him. And so I would go out there. In fact, I remember he had this really old, like a 62 Dodge, if I remember right, had the big round deal and the big chrome grill. And, and the kids are looking at me like, chrome grill, like what is that? You know. But back in the day, they had those. And I remember he got in a wreck. And so I we went with them to the junkyard, and we pulled off the parts, drove home, putting on the parts. And I can remember I was over there with a screwdriver trying to work on it. I mean, I was probably seven or eight years old, trying to work on this screw. My dad didn't care, but I loved being with my dad. I loved working on cars with him. And by the time I was about 13, 14, somewhere in there, things began to change. My dad would go out, and he'd pop the hood, and he'd say, son, you need to take all of this out, like you take this part or this, take that out, and, And then he would go back inside, and this was how my dad worked on the car from about the time I was 13 until I moved out. (laughs) So he really enjoyed that, you know? But I I would start taking the parts off the car, and after the first time, I learned that when I took a part off, I would set it over in a box or on a side with all the different little parts that went with it, because you know what? When you take them off, you gotta put them back on, right? And so I had to learn that. Um, But I would set all these parts out, And then when dad would do whatever it was he was doing, a lot of times I can remember working on time and chains and different things like that. He would set it and he'd go, okay, put it back on. So then I'd go back and put it all back on. There's a couple of things I learned. I learned that the reason I was out there is because I really loved my dad and I loved being with him working on the car. The second thing I learned is that I trusted my dad that he knew how to fix the car. My dad had this, he was a good mechanic. He was around automobiles all the time growing up. And so I, I just trusted him. So when he said, take that off, I believed he was right and take it off. I, didn't under, I still cannot name all the different parts of cars, but I know how they come off because I learned that from my dad. The third, the third thing I learned is that I listened to my dad. Because I trusted him, I listened to him, and I took off parts. Can you imagine what had happened if he said, now take this all off, this water pump, and da-da-da, and I go over, and I start pulling off the manifolds, and all these other parts, pull off the carburetor, say, look, Dad, look what I did. You know, I could just imagine my dad's face in that moment, right? Um, Because I trusted what he had told me, and so therefore I did it. Well, the Apostle John, in this section of the Scriptures, kind of does the same thing with us. He talks about our love to the Father, our love for Him because of what He's done in our lives. And then He also talks about our faith, our trust, that we would have faith in Him and believing in Him. And then as a result of that, how we would listen to Him or we would use the word obey as John uses in this passage. So it's really important to understand this and understand that as we talk about this, we're talking about those who have received Christ. If you haven't received Christ today and you're here and you have not trusted Christ with your life, you're not gonna get there through obedience. I wanna tell you that because we all come up short of God's glory. You come to Christ by faith. And as a result of that faith and that change that happens in our life, then we're able to walk in obedience and we're able to walk in faith in what God has for us. When you look at this section of scripture in chapter 25, it uses the term overcomer. In fact, in the scripture in the New Testament, it's only used 24 times. Did you know that? 24 times in the New Testament, and 21 of those times it's used by the apostle John. Cuz John was imp- it was important to John to emphasize the victorious nature of us as believers. Let me say that again. It was important to the Apostle John that we as God's people would understand the victorious nature we have in faith. How important is that? So in verse one, and I'm gonna have to go really quick because I know we got food trucks and all that stuff down there, so I'm gonna talk really, really fast. But hang in there. Verse one, it says everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. The word there, that idea of believing is to have faith, is the primary term of this passage, to have faith. It's where it starts, to have faith. To have faith in what? That Jesus is the Christ. At the very onset of this passage, the apostle John brings together faith and divine sonship. What do I mean by that? Well, we, have, we know in the apostle from the other writings in this passage even that there was heresies going on in the church. And John's beginning to address some of those. Some of the heresies that we know that were going on during that time, while we may not know all the specifics in this particular church, but some of the heresies are going on where they were challenging that Jesus wasn't even the anointed one of God, that he wasn't the son of God. And there were some that were challenging that well, it only matters because Jesus really wasn't a physical body. He was a spirit because matter doesn't mean anything. It's not important. So, what we do in our flesh doesn't matter. It's because we're already delivered by God. Therefore, we can live how we please. And John was beginning to address some of these. By the way, that is not true. We're living, there's nothing new under the sun. What Apostle John was dealing with in the first century, we're still dealing with today. People still try to undervalue who Jesus is. Jesus is the son of God, fully God, fully man. There is no one else like him. Never have been, never will be that he was fully God and fully man. It's what sets him apart from every other belief system in the world. It's the thing that changed my life. It's the reality to understand that he is fully God, fully man. If that's not true, everything crumbles in our faith. It's absolute truth. It is who he is. It's who he came to be. And the Apostle John is instructing them that because some of these heresies had now begun to influence the believers of their day and begin to impact them where now they weren't following after Christ in action. And how we live matters. I know we live in a day where we want to choose our ways, but we really need to be careful, dear people of God, because we are God's people if we know Christ. And what God has to say in our life means everything. In other words, our standing in a, in a proper relationship with God depends on the fact that we understand who Jesus is. He says here, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, that true faith accepts the reality of who Jesus is and to deny who Jesus is is to move us into the other category of unbelief. Let's not play around with who the person of Jesus Christ is. The thrust of what John is saying here is that a correct belief, a correct behavior as a result of our faith is indispensable in Christian loving. That if we're going to live out Christ, if we're going to follow after Him, the heresies of this world cannot distract us. We need to stay focused on who He is, as John I believe is speaking here and insisting on the fact that Jesus is a Christ. In fact, the idea of the perfect tense there, and the and the idea has been born, and it takes a indicates a past act, and the present tense of faith or of, of believing has a present effect. And the picture is that as a result of coming to Christ and being made part of the family of God, that faith has a continuation in how we conduct ourselves. Let us not disconnect and think, well, I just received Christ, I'm good, and then think that how we live matters not. Now, how we live does not change our position. The position's based on who Jesus is. But how we live indicates what we believe. Let us not be deceived, dear people of God. Because everyone who loves, he says in the latter part of verse 1, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. And the picture here is that John makes kind of two points. The first is that the believer is a child of God, and therefore God... Is his father. Why do you think, and I've said this so many times, and I I know many of you are getting it, but I'm going to keep saying it, so endure with me. Why do I say over and over again, we are God's people? That we are his children. The church isn't this building, this church isn't Mansfield Bible Church. We are God's people. Because of what God has done as he has redeemed us and brought us into his family. We are his people. John wants us to understand that as he's talking about a believer is a child of God. God has born them, begat them, brought them to life. That's what it tells us in Ephesians chapter 2. That God made us alive. It gives us life. It's what we are. So John says that in the first aspect. The second point he develops in this teaching is about how the body, where the people of God are to love one another. And the picture is of what he's trying to bring out here is the fact that if God has brought life into us because of faith, because we've received Christ in our life and we've been born again, then we as his people ought to love those who have been born of God. And the picture literally is, you can go this far, is literally that I love you because God is in you. Why? Because you've received Christ into your life. Now, we're not gods. That's what I'm saying. But I've received Christ into my life. And therefore, because I've received Christ into my life, there's nothing about you that necessarily has to draw. It's not like, well, I really connect with that person, but I don't that one. So I love them a little bit more and love them a little bit less. That's that's not to be named in in the body of Christ. The picture is that if they are part of the body of Christ, we love them. Why? Because we love the Father. Because we love the Father, we love them. Because we love them, it demonstrates that we love the Father. That's what John is bringing out in these passages or in these verses right here. He says, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. If you have a problem with the people of God, you're gonna have a problem with God. Now, this does not mean, dear people of God. I've been, oh, I was gonna say, man, I hope I can remember the right years. About 37 years, right? My wife's here this morning, so I'm trying to get the exact. I've been married about 37 years, something like that. I'm hoping I'm right. (laughs) I'm trying to do the math in my head, but I can't get the message out of my head in order to do the math. Um, But we've been married about 37 years. We've had our ups and downs, but we're one because of what Christ has done in our lives. There isn't an option. There's not an optional period. We we are his children. Not only are we married and we have this union of marriage, we also have this union of the body of Christ. That's why it tells us in Ephesians chapter four, there is one God, one Lord, one spirit, one body, And we as a body of Christ need to understand that. And John's trying to teach this, that we as his people, we love his children. Why? Because we love the father. And if we love the father, we're gonna love the children. If we love the children, we're gonna love the father. And if we break down in one of those, if I don't love the father, I'm not gonna love his children. If I don't love his children, then I need to question my love for the father. Ooh. Did you feel that one? We need to be careful, dear people of God, that we understand who we are. Well, I'm not going to get through all these, but we're going to go. Verse 2, by this we know that we, we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Here's a picture again. He's still drawing this picture of loving that inseparable, that if I love God, I would also love the people that God has made alive. But he uses that last phrase, obey his commandments there. That, that's a little bit unique in the New Testament. It has the idea to carry out his orders. It involves the idea of kind of an energy of obedience. Kind of like when I was that kid, there was, there was an excitement about working with my dad and I just wanted to go do that. And it's the same picture that this idea of carrying out God's orders, is not simply to heed them, but there's an energy to fulfill them. Why? Because I love my father. I love my God. He has begotten me and because of that I have faith in what he's done and now I'm living in my faith and carrying out his word and carrying out his truth and carrying out his commands is not a burden. It's actually very freeing dear people of God. I don't know where we've deceived ourselves to think that because of God's directions for our life somehow keeps us from life. Oh, I know where it came from. Go back to the garden. Go back to the garden when Eve looked at the tree and said, hmm, it's pretty good. And our adversary convinced her that God was withholding good from her. And we as those who have gone astray have continued to do that throughout the history of humanity. Looking and wondering if God's holding good from us. And the reality is we do not choose his ways. And therefore we experience, we do not experience his blessings. When we undervalue obedience, when we undervalue those love conditions in our lives, in our walks with God, do we really understand what it means to love the Father? If you were to ask me, what does it mean to love God, I would have to answer, to obey his commands. To obey God is to do what is right, both towards God and towards his people. In verse 3, John goes on, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not a, not a burdensome. When you look at that phrase in the first part of verse 3, this is the love of God. In the Greek, that word of could literally be for. This is the love for God. And that proper response of love towards God is obedience to his commands. Without, without obedience in our life, without following his commands and delighting in his word and delighting in his truth, could it not be disputed our love for him? It's a necessary outcome of loving God to keep his commandments. You know, I remember raising kids. I did it to my parents too. And you guys will know what I mean, both young and old. Remember, when my kids, they... They would, you know, I'd walk in and they were just thinking, oh, hey, dad, they love me, you know. Hey, can you help with it? Oh, yeah, dad, can you help with it? Yeah, oh, yeah, dad, you know. Hey, do you want to, yeah, oh, yeah, dad, dad, they, and they were just like, you know, love and just getting all these hugs and then they get a little older, you know, kind of thing. Um, hey, you want to help with the dish? No. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta be kidding, you know. Hey, can we, no, nah, I got other things to do. And we do the exact same thing to God. We do the exact same thing to God. When everything's going well, we're like, oh, yeah, great. Oh, joy, you know, yeah, God. God is wonderful. He's doing everything I want today. God is wonderful. And when things go wrong, when he tells us to walk in righteousness and we decide to go the other way and it doesn't go right, oh, I knew God wasn't listening. We don't listen to him. We become frustrated. But true love requires action. It means a life of willing obedience. It's literally the laying down of our life, of our own possession and picking up his life. It's the idea of Romans chapter six that we know that we we are dead to sin and alive to God. We know that. We've, we've heard it over and over. I've preached it many times that we're dead to sin and alive to God, that we've been set free to Him. We know that. So we have to reckon it to be true in our lives, that word there to consider in, the, in Romans chapter 6, verse 11, that I consider it to be true. I reckon it to be true, So when, when, when sin gets the best of me, I go, "You know what? That's not who I am anymore. I'm not that person anymore. And as a result of that, I quit yielding myself and I confess to God and acknowledge to God that's not who I am anymore and I quit yielding myself there and I yield myself to God. It's the same picture, that's obedience. It's taking up his life. Christ, who is your life, Colossians chapter three. And you know what? His commands aren't a burden. They're not a burden. Yes, to to the natural man, when I'm in my flesh, they are, they are strange, the will of God. When I read it and I think, gosh, that doesn't seem right to me because I'm evaluating it from my perspective and my will. The requirements for righteousness seem foreign and hard. Even the idea of to, to love is a burden. But when we trust God's son and experience his work in our life, and we begin to seek and hunger after righteousness, it becomes a joy. We begin to live a life of love, it becomes a delight. When the commands of God, we understand, brings us freedom and liberty, that his commands are not a burden. They don't keep us from joy and goodness and righteousness. And he says in verse 4, he says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. This is the victory that has overcome. That word overcome there is the idea of a present tense. It's a continuing expression that by faith, I go back and I remember what God has done. God has made me alive, Ephesians chapter 2. He has raised me up and He's seated me in the heavenlies with His Son. He's kept me there. And by faith, I exercise each day in obedience of walking step by step by step in the truth of His righteousness and the truth of what His Word has said and the truth of His, of his commands. And I experience His joy, I experience His goodness. When I came to Christ, I spent many years there not seeking after, after God. There was about six or seven, I was a young, young boy, and then in high school, I just had to break away. I had to break away from some friends. I had to do all those things to, to really seek after God. I began to read my Bible. I read my Bible for two years without listening to another teacher or preacher or anything. And it was from that time that I learned much about God's word and who he is. And I began to live in my life, and I went through this time where I was always worried about how I was conducting, and I was like, Oh God, I'm not living up to you. I'm not, and I lived under this burden, under this, this weight, this crushing weight of the law and the and the judgment. And I remember I was preaching in a little church in southwest Louisiana, and I read those words to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I remember waxing eloquently on the word grace, but I knew as I stood there preaching that I had no idea what that meant. I got out of ministry. I began to to study. I prayed and asked God to teach me about his grace, to understand it, to embrace it. It was about a 10-year journey. I wish I would have asked for so many other things because he taught me so much about himself and yet my own shortcomings. And as a result of my own shortcomings that I stand here today, not because of what I accomplished, but because of nothing but Jesus and Jesus alone, his grace, his mercy, that gives me the righteousness in Christ that I have a standing before the Father. You see, it's not not this picture of overcoming that I'm going to be strong today and I'm going to have victory and I'm going to make it. No, it's when we... Fall on our faces and we cry to our God and we walk in the power and the strength of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we find the hope that we need and the victory. Then we overcome because He has made us alive. It's the life that we have in Christ, it's God moving people from the kingdom of death. To the kingdom of life. No wonder it's so important that we as God's people understand the ministry of reconciliation. That we have the gospel that gives life. It takes people from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It's a message that is meant for everybody you will meet. No wonder it's so important for us to have it and to know it. Let us not get comfortable in our seats, dear people of God. We got community outreach next week. Let's do it. Maybe God will give you an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. Or maybe just simply by your act of love and kindness would they hear the message of faith that we have. And this is the victory. Literally in the Greek means the victory that is victorious over the world. This is our victory. Our faith. Our faith overcomes. It's, a, again, as a result of what God has done and has made us alive That is our victory. Dear people of God, we stand here today in the victory that we have in Christ Jesus because of what he has done. Where's your faith? Is your faith living out what God has done in making you alive? Let it not be that you walk through these doors and it just becomes a ritual and an activity. Go out through these doors, go to our our welcome table back there, our little table. And there'll be someone there that can help you find a place to get involved. Let us not be comfortable and, and go home and just say, oh, today was a good day with God and live as we please throughout the week. We cannot do that. We've got to stop doing that. We've got to live out who we are in Christ Jesus and by faith take a step each day. It doesn't mean we won't fail sometimes. It doesn't mean that we don't come up short. Hang around me a little while. All right? Hang around me. I'll upset you. I'll get you aggravated or frustrated somehow. I promise. But it's Jesus in me that is working constantly. And it's us together as a body of believers, as a family of God, coming together, living out Christ, learning to follow Jesus. And then the last verse, verse 5, who is it that has overcome the world except the one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You notice the progression in verse 4, the first part. It's the new birth that we have whereby God has made us alive. We've been born of him. And then he moves into the believer's act of faith. What is the victory that overcomes the world? It's our faith. Our faith in what God has done in making us alive. And then he accumulates it here in the confession that Jesus is the Son of God. And all of the things that are going on in our world today and all the things that are being taught out there, and all of the the ideas that people have about Jesus and about the Bible, here's the truth. Jesus is the Son of God, and there is no path to righteousness outside of that. He is God, fully man, fully God. We have to understand that Otherwise, any other other belief is going to lead us to a false gospel. It's going to lead us to a false direction. We, as God's people, need to stand on the truth of who Jesus is. You see, victory requires that whole process, our faith, our belief, a love for God and a love for his children. But it also involves us keeping his commands, obeying his directives, listening to him or else you're going to be like I was when I was a kid start tearing off the manifold when I was supposed to be tearing off the water pump, right? It doesn't work. And so many times we start trying to add things in our life and we say it's God when it's not. And we wonder why it falls apart. Faith, love, obedience, they are the elements and the characteristics of a new birth that we have in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Actually, I actually wish I had about another 20 minutes. But, uh, I, food trucks are here, somebody said, I think. Oh, you know, they can wait. Let's pray, dear people of God. Um, Father God, I know that as we go through this passage and went through it quick today, Lord, um, I know that the things that I say, they're just, they're just in total dependence and trust in you. So, Father, I would just pray. I would pray for your spirit now to move as only your spirit can. Only your spirit can teach us, Father, enlighten us of truth. Only your spirit convicts us of of things like, like righteousness and judgment. Only your spirit is able to open our eyes in the midst of darkness. So, Father, we commit ourselves, and I pray that your spirit would just move through us. There's some, Father, that just need to be encouraged today. They need to be strengthened. And may their their weak knees and their heavy arms, Father, be be strengthened today. Maybe some, Father, have kind of been drifting and they've been, been kind of walking away from you, Father. May you, Father, call them back, bring them back, remind them of who they are in Christ Jesus, that they've been born again. Father, there might be some here never trusted in and your son, may today be the day of salvation. Man, now May now be the time that they would come to Christ and that we can rejoice with them in glory. Father, you have your way because we're just your people. It's in Jesus' name, amen.